the federal government has officially certified Arizona as a triple crown state. We have the distinction of being the state with the highest concentration of COVID cases, the highest concentration of double-digit IQs, and the largest percentage of per capita gun ownership in the country. Coincidence? Well, if you wanted honesty, you've come to the wrong place. This is the Disinformed Podcast. I'm Shane. I'm John. And I'm Michael. And here are Triple Crown winners, gentlemen. I feel, like you, I feel like after you said that, there needed to be like a... The air horn. Shots fired, mm-hmm. as a oh, matter yeah, of certain right. fact. Yes, uh-huh. Uh, Isn't it astounding oh, man. when you celebrate the fact that we're under a thousand cases? Like, people are like, oh, look, the cases look so great today. And I'm like, yeah, it's nine fucking hundred. It's 600. Like, that's not... Like, it's going in the right direction. Sure. That's... Not what I'm arguing, but like, don't, yes, but still, don't tell me how, what a monumentous occasion it is that there's, <laughs> you know, it's because we're not testing as much. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I have returned back to being in a, uh, a job where we are open to individuals coming back in and I guarantee you that I'm not lying. This is not conflated at all. The number of individuals I have to speak to who are not wearing a mask and not compliant with the university standard is 80%. Uh, They call that a target-rich environment in the military. Uh, yeah, well, if only. Uh, I yeah, I have worn out my tolerance on several people this week. So, as of right now, of this very moment, I am fairly certain that some single-celled amoeba is just gonna amble out of the protozone protoplasm and take a fucking Psychology 101 class on the campus that I am at this semester, because that is the level of intellect I am seeing on a daily basis from these mouth-breathing, cousin-copulating, silly sons of bitches who don't understand that this isn't a fucking tickle fight we're not having fun people are goddamn dying from this and it's like oh well i thought i was indoors so i could take the mask off no i think this is i am not happy that you were experiencing this but i'm happy that you finally are because i feel like michael and i have like kind of we we were thrown into it earlier and these are the exact thoughts that I was having. And it's like, it's like now, it's like Michael finally understanding all of our movie references. Like, what right. an occasion that would be. It's like kind of what I'm having right now. <laughs> well, the difficulty between is I actually was sitting and thinking about it is you, at the very least, if someone walks in, you can point to the door and be like, get the fuck out. That is a grace I'm aware I of. have to walk up and fucking, like, patty cake powder push these people of like, hey... Did you happen to forget your mask? Oh, you don't want to wear it? Oh, okay, you think this is all a hoax? Well, let's sit down and have a substantive conversation, because I'm going to experience empathy with you. Let's let's talk this out. Why do you feel that way? Let me try to help educate you about this, because we are in a community that cares about one another. As opposed to my normal response, which would be, I'm going to drag you by your fucking tongue out of this building if you don't stand the fuck up or put a mask on. Your yes. choice. And uh, that's not what we're told. We have to be, we have to coddle and, and try to make people feel comfortable I, in spite of, you know, no, their intellectual no, 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 challenges. No. <laughs> Meanwhile, no, please, please tell me that isn't the case because I, Michael, I, I, you I'm took gonna... that training. 
you know that's true. Like you sat for those conversations. That's what they want you to do is they to sit and go, well, I appreciate you feel that way. And, you know, here's a mask I can offer you. And if you don't want it, then I will I will have to gently suggest that you leave. And if you refuse to do so, I have to then continue to try to find other ways to let you, you know, get out of it yourself. Oh, I'm not going to be able to handle that. I will literally I have a panic attack. I did that uh-uh. this week, actually. I had my first oh, person that re- legit said, I have a condition. And at that point, I looked at the driver that was at the front <sighs> desk and I was like, you take care of him. I'm not. And I walked away. And then as soon as that guy walked out the door, I screamed and yelled for a good five minutes just to the store. And mm, yeah. um, I decided that if people were going to refuse to put on a mask, I was going to refuse service. I said that in front of my boss, who offered the intelligent um, suggestion of serving them outside the door. And I was like, okay. They can stay outside the door. They aren't breaking the rules. They don't have to have a mask outside. Technically, not really, but whatever. If they put down money or card, I will disinfect it because I we we have a fancy UV light wand. I will do oh, that. Oh, good. Oh, yes, yes. They will nice. slide their, their money under the door. I will do that. I will disinfect that. I will input the money, and I will push the pizza out after disinfecting it for them. Uh, I told that to him, to his face, because I'm like, no, <laughs> you heard me freaking out. Ten fucking minutes ago. Also, Did I mean, you, so, and so you're going to UV the pizza? Yes. And the credit cards. Um, yes. Everything. To, to, to Michael's experience, too, like outside of like money, which you need to, you know, support your family that you you now have. Um, <laughs> um, like you have nothing to lose in that store. Like you live so far away from that that shop now that like it would almost be like a mercy killing for him to fire you at this point. I mean, it would suck well, for you to find another job, but, like, and parking on campus, which is his, his primary motivation. Man, fuck it. As far away as you are, you just, like, just parachute in. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> it'd, it'd be, ch- it'd be cheaper. It's pretty affordable, yeah. <laughs> it would be cheaper than uh, than paying for the parking. You could probably, st- it would probably be equal, like, equal cost to, to Michael, parachute in every tried- day. <laughs> Have you tried astral projecting to work? <laughs> I wish I could. If I could Is astral there... project, that would be way better. I mean, that would be better than remote. I mean, <laughs> a- a- Arizonans have been asshole projecting this entire time. At least <laughs> we can try to get on the same page. I just so got to I... go up uh, up north to Sedona and get enough of those crystals where I can do the astral projection and <laughs> clean my chakras and all that fun shit. Or I just put like... the UV wand up your ass and you'll be fine. I'll be super powered, man. He already does that I for fun. I feel like the Flash. <laughs> well, I feel like uh, the, the triangle, I think our experiences do form a triangle and that, you know, we have some shared in the middle a little bit, but like Shane has to be empathetic and nice. But I still feel like Shane, you have a little bit of liberty, a little bit of wiggle room, maybe. Michael, I, you don't really have a wiggle room. You can, you can re- rebuke, you know, and you can tell your boss what you think, but there's nothing like that. And then I feel like I'm on the edge where like, Maybe it's a Venn diagram. It's a Venn diagram that I'm trying to describe here. Um, <laughs> it's it's a pentagram. Get it? But where where I'm at, it's where I've been for for a few months. Yeah, I get it. Hail Stan. Um, uh, <laughs> is that I don't want to refuse service. We accommodate and we have mass available, like you know, disposable ones. But it is a requirement, yep. like 100 mm-hmm. percent a requirement. But I have to tiptoe between, like, I don't want to be an asshole, even though you're being an asshole. 
I don't know where that came from because my personality usually does not lean that yeah. way. But That's... what I've tried to do, maybe it's because I just don't like confrontation. So, Fair. oh, no one, I don't yeah. know anyone who really relishes This it. is not a, an issue that, like, it's an issue that would lend itself to confrontation real easily if you just mm. react emotionally. So, like, what yeah. I have to do is, like, people come in, like, and they do the dick nose approach, you know, where the mask is on over their mouth but not their nose. Or or I have people that think that in order to talk to me that they have to take their mask off. Oh, my God. That so, is, like, every other customer at ha- so, at Howie's. It, so, they, here's, they think here's what you, I say. Like, I can hear you. That's what I say. I'm like, so they'll take it down. I'm like, oh, I can hear you just fine. You can leave your mask on. Is what I'll say. And I'll say it's super nice. And then with the dick noses, I'll be like, oh, hey, it looks like your your mask slipped down a little bit. You are way nicer than I am. And there is, there's only one customer that I have nearly laid hands on. And he's this, uh, this old guy. Uh, apparently he lives two or three doors down from, three doors down. Yeah. Uh, from, oh, damn it. From the owner of our shop. Uh, and he comes in, I stop me if I've already described him, but he comes in wearing what looks like he cut the bottom of a two gallon jug and then he affixed like crude, like rubber banding on each side. So it covers his chin and maybe like three quarters of his mouth and barely the tip of his nose. And with the fact that it's not flush or even close to being flush around the face, it's, it's like the most passive aggressive protest I've ever seen. And on top of that, he's a cunt. And Michael said that I can say that now. So, like, yeah, yeah. he's just one of the most annoying people. Yeah. Uh, He's one of the most annoying people that come into that store on a semi-regular basis pre-COVID. And now during, during this time, I'm just like, how do you not have it yet? Like, he is the person that should be concerned. So I haven't seen him this week. So I don't want to wish ill on anybody. But if I were to wish ill on somebody, I mean, he kind of played his cards. Yeah, so Emmett Otter and the goddamn Jug Band Christmas walks in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he oh, oh he always God. indignantly, like, walks into the store without his mask. And every single time, without fail, I'm like, oh, hey, man, uh, do, you, do you need a mask? And he's like, oh, wait, 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 yeah, I got one. And he walks back to his car and puts on that fucking thing. I was like, I want to... It's like, what do you gain from doing that? I want to throat punch you. I get that from construction workers every single fucking day. And and they have bandanas on their head. They wear bandanas for, to collect sweat. And it's like, okay, you're okay with wearing things on your face. <laughs> when you get when you come on the forehead, you come on the forehead. You know, apply directly to the forehead, etc. You know, but you already wear a bandana, right? You already have one on your forehead. Why not just on your face? Even if it's not a, a good mask, it's still a bandana. Just fucking wear it. I can't breathe, man. It's real. It restricts me. And, you know, I can say that once and suddenly get empathy from people, but someone else says it 87 times when someone's kneeling on the back of his neck and no one pays attention. Ooh! What do you know? Hot fucking take right there! I hate white people. Mm. Mm. There's a there's a meme that I love seeing. Go for it, and then I'm going to tell you something, Michael. That's fine. There's a meme I love seeing where it just shows, like, it's some sort of, like, news article of, like, I don't know, Bama, World Tide, or something like that, and it shows this, like... This, this black guy reading a magazine that looks like a people magazine, but instead of people, it says white people. And he just looks at it all like questioning, like confused. And I, I love that like little <laughs> picture. I love that meme so much because it describes how I feel about my, my people so often mm. where I'm just like, I'll look at people and I'll be like, fucking white people. And am I right? And they'll look at me like all fucking confused. And I'm like, I, I, I'm white. I can, I can say that. <laughs> 
I'm, I can bag on my own culture. Speaking of things that white people can Crack say. Crack ass honkies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so get ready, Michael, because I'm going to first, I'm going to admonish you. And then secondarily, I'm going to congratulate you. So in that order, um, I demand satisfaction because you unrightfully and unlawfully censored me last week. You, you put me in jail for something that wasn't even a crime. Uh, when we were talking about Ben Shapiro and Nicki Minaj's uh, new song, and I'll preface this by saying, one, I am aware that certain ways of the pronunciation does lean towards it sounding like the pejorative. Um, but I sent Michael a link to the song Wet Ass Pussy by Cardi B and sent him a timestamp. They do, in fact, inside of the song, refer to it as wop, Say- wop, wop. Yes. Instead, but I agree. Yes, My, Michael, right. no, right. Michael and, made me wake up last Thursday being like, am I, oh my God, how was I so accidentally insensitive? Because it's W-A-P, like it could be whap, whap, whap. And, you, you, um, I honestly thought it was like that, like a newspaper to a dog's nose or something. If they did something bad, yeah. like whap, whap. So, uh, um, well, there's a dog involved in that song. There, there's a tiger too and a Jenner or two. Oh my god, that video, I, I saw about ten seconds of it, and I felt my brain throw up. I watched it I six times. I actually felt something <laughs> run down the base of my spine. This explains a, a lot. <laughs> if, if only. Man, if that aroused me, I would seek counseling for an extensive period of time. Because yeah, those um, two women actually, like, together could intimidate a dick back into my intestines. Like a turtle. I, yes. I don't know. Ever. <laughs> uh, look at the tor- or look at the turtle and uh, his enorm- enormous girth. Uh, look at the on, turtle on his shell. He uh, holds the earth <laughs> on his back. Uh, he holds the earth. Yeah. 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 Um, Jesus. But on the same topic, during that conversation, Michael recommended, um, or because we brought up Ben Shapiro, you brought up Michael the Joe Rogan episode uh, of him interviewing Ben Shapiro, and I watched it. The entire thing. And I hate myself because I loved that episode. I mean, I hated, you know, parts of it, but there was a, there's a comment inside of the video that I think kind of like summed it up really well. And it was like, I want to show this to my children on how to have a conversation with somebody who has a difference of opinion than you because of how like they never got heated with each other. They never insulted each other's intelligence. It was just a very professional conversation while still being human in the middle and i really respected it candid yeah and yeah. i uh I, I when i went home because i watched most of it at work when i went home i was telling becky when i was like you know getting up on the couch and she goes oh well that makes a lot of sense she goes i was like what do you mean makes a lot of sense she goes that you're starting to like joe rogan i was like i i'm not tracking she goes okay because last uh or i just just turned 29 in the, in the past week she goes well if it's my understanding is that by the time a man turns 30, he loves Joe Rogan. <laughs> so you have, you have one year until you love Joe Rogan. <laughs> so it's already starting. <laughs> oh, that's great. I, I just, it's one of those things we've talked about frequently where having civil discourse is just a lost art. And in particular, um, the uh, Daryl Davis episode is the one that was a real eye opener for me as far as like actually just admitting that he was uh, great with discourse. 
Daryl Davis is the gentleman who has, like, single-handedly caused throngs of individuals to leave the KKK. Uh, and okay. it is, I sent you the link when I was recommending episodes. So okay. if you go back, you probably got lost in the messenger. Okay. You'll see it. Uh, but he essentially talked the Imperial wizard of the Ku Klux Klan out of the Ku Klux Klan and essentially almost shut the entire thing down because they lost their entire leadership structure. Damn. Uh, and his story is incredibly compelling and they get into a lot of the minutia of, you know, what motivated Daryl Davis to want to get involved and the mechanism through which he started talking to people. And it was literally just sitting down and having conversations and just saying, why do you feel this way? Uh, there's a really excellent sort of anecdote that he says where he's discussing a, a, a member. There's a coilif that he talked to in Maryland who said, well, it's a commonly known fact that all black people have a gene. It's a genetically imbued thing that makes them prone to violence and crime. And so Daryl Davis's retort is, well, I've never committed a crime in my life and I'm, I'm black. And the guy without missing a beat's like, well, it's just a latent gene in you. It hasn't manifested yet. Fuck And so Daryl Davis's (laughs) exact retort is without skipping a beat again. He goes, well, it's also a commonly held uh, belief and something that's pretty well known that all white people are serial killers. And he said, you name me, you know, like one or two black serial killers. He said, I'll even spot you names. And he listed one and the guy had no other reference. He says, okay, now name some white serial killers. And it started running down the list of like, okay, Jeffrey Dahmer, Gary Heidnick. And like, he can run through and he goes, yeah. And so the guy's like, but I haven't killed anybody. I'm white. And he says, oh, well, it's just a latent gene in you. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy is completely taken aback, like wholly nonplussed. And he just said, this is how crazy you sound saying things like that, which is it's uneducated and it's, you know, it's suspect rationale. You're using fallacies and just talk the guy off. He's like, holy shit. I had no idea. I said, that sounds stupid. And, you know, just causing those little subtle realizations so the Daryl Davis one really brought me around, whereas I was entertained by Rogan's stuff previously, but once I actually saw him having on guests that have real transformative and substantive conversations and actual perspectives that help to change things, it really brought me around. And so, yes, uh, I am in my 30s, so I can say I, I do fall into that demographic. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, it's interesting to see what you're talking about with Joe Rogan's guests, like as it went on. Cause you know, I kind of like perused like, you know, episodes just to see if I had any guests in particular, like, Oh, that would be cool. Um, what's interesting to me is that Joe Rogan and Tom Segura's podcast, both kind of, they have like a, a similar following ish because they are friends, Tom Segura and Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. like right. you go to early YMH episodes. And it's within, I think the first 10 or 20 episodes, I think he's a guest on the show. Just because they're hanging out, they're talking. So yeah. to see it go from him treating it more like a comedy podcast and being more serious and more interviewee is 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 interesting. And then it's also somebody who's really doing an excellent thing with his platform. Not to cut you off, but like he's he's doing something that is intended to actually have decent conversations. So with his power, he's using it respectfully and having the guests that he should. But anywho. Please continue. Oh, no, you're good. I was going to do a little bit more like housekeeping or not housekeeping, but follow up from from last week Uh, at Mm. work yesterday. 
I listened to Alien Ant Farm's first album, and I listened to Fuel's first album for the first time in earnest in a very long time. Alien Ant Farm is a long play. Like, that's a really long album. I kind of lost interest, like, eight songs in because it's very one note. But that being said, the one Mm. note is very fun and holds up way better than I thought. I did the same thing. I went and re-listened, and I appreciated a lot of the songs on there as much as I did when I was younger. And then with Fuel... I still enjoyed it, but because of nostalgia, I don't like if if I was brand spanking new to the band and went in and listened to Fuel right now, I don't think I'd be a fan just based on where I am in my life. But it was a very weird thing yeah. of being like, I remember all the words. I remember all the the chords and like the riffs. And I think that was one of the first tablature books that I ever like it was one of the first couple tab books that I ever had in my life. Like my brother bought it for sunburn. Yeah. And I stole it from him. Um, and so I was listening back to some, some songs going like, oh, I didn't even hear that now that I am more intimate with music. Like I was like, I didn't even notice that line in the background. Cause now like Shane, you and I like, we'll play guitar parts with each other where like, I'll be doing something just very one notey, like atmosphere in the background. And it's something that you don't know it's there until you take it out. And it's the same thing with, with some fuel parts. So it's like, okay, so maybe I did get it from somewhere, you know, like there's well, an inception point. Production. Yeah. 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 And I'm really excited for this. This, I've been really bored at work. You know, I have a lot of time on my hands, so I've been kind of thinking about some shit we could do. And uh, all right, okay. there is something that we haven't checked in on in a really, really long time. And in particular, I'm excited to see what it looks like for Michael. Um, Uh-oh, your I'm Instagram, Instagram targeted ads. ads or your Instagram ad. Ad. So I checked mine before I logged in. Okay. And here's my update on Instagram ads. Okay. <sighs> Shopping in fashion, jewelry, luxury goods, boutiques, tattoos, physical exercise, real estate, and get this association football, parenthetical soccer, nature, and video games. I cannot. I just don't believe it. I cannot believe that the first half of that is like bougie as shit because I don't. I don't order. I don't own jewelry. Um, shopping and fashion. I wear band tees and brewery shirts. I would hardly call that fashion. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't own many luxury items. And I sure as hell ain't shopping in boutiques. Michael, well, did you get uh, yours? Yes. All right. So you're just... gonna also need to like old man me because I do not remember how the hell. All right, Michael. So it's settings. You... Yep. Oh, settings, security, and then it was uh, access data, and then add interests all the way at the bottom. Yes. Yes. Uh, I believe so. Shane. Okay. I will show you. Well, well, hold on. Your hold account. On. Hold oh. on. Yeah. Because I, we I need to update. We need to update the listeners real quick because we have a lot of new people here that haven't heard this. Fair. There you go. Michael, there you go. do, you, do okay. you remember the last time that we pulled these up and what your ad interest was? Um, shit, that must have been, I don't know, episode it was over eight or a year nine. Ago. No, it was like episode um, three or something. Or four. Uh, no, we did a follow-up on that um, not too long. It was originally brought up on the second episode, um, but I think... Think we like spaced it out to where okay. like a couple like we did like a couple yeah. episodes. No of need each. to go in the but, weeds. Yeah. Anyway, but, um, your ad in microphones. Yes. Was what is microphone. it now? Yes. Uh, it is, and I will show you on the the Zoom thing. 
your account doesn't have any information to show here. And exactly. <laughs> oh, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't read very well. And I'm well, Shane. No. Uh, so what you're telling yes, me is that your Instagram so, killed itself. It was like we don't know what pleases this fucking enigma. <laughs> just what do you want out. from me? The Instagram they want you to log in is what they want. At you some can point. join Fair. Michael on next week's TED Talk on living off the grid. Is it okay to drink <laughs> your own pee and eat your own poop? Tune in to find out. Don't oh. you tease them of what I'm gonna present next. <laughs> Captain Pika's back, I think. <laughs> Captain Pika. Pika, you did. <laughs> Shane, uh, Shane, what do you well, got, love? Before we really go into this, though, John, I think I can sleuth out why you have your uh, bougie boutique stuff. How many scantily clad women are advertising like wetware and lingerie Ooh. when you're looking at them? Oh, that makes so much. I sense. think I. It it just occurred mm. to me. I was like, "It's a, I bet you eighty percent of the girls who are you know barely clad showing can, the booty are I can trying think to of advertise." Two right now, Emma Radzikowski does have her own swimwear and clothing wear. What is it? Inamorta, I think, is what it's called. And boom, some of her best pictures, I would argue, are from those ads. So, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, if you were not prepared for the fappening, you must run. Seek absolution elsewhere and hide your kids, hide your wives, because John's getting Radijakowski all over in your ass. I so, wish. Shane's, Shane's ad interests presently. Spas. Okay. Ooh. I've never been to a spa in my, you know, bloody life. Never tell uh, Tattoos. Okay. Uh, beauty. Which, you are gorgeous. Uh, I yeah. have, I don't possess True. any, so I don't understand. Uh, uh sports. Food, televisions, hip hop music, comedy movies, fast food, rock music, American football. Wait, you got American? I, American football. So I've officially become Americanized. Uh, music videos, movies, rhythm and blues music, action movies, coffee, music, thriller movies, heavy metal music. Blues music. This thing keeps going, man. Oh yeah, I've yeah. Got, like, I, we just cherry, yeah, yeah, we just took yeah. the, the first half. Um, okay, so, so you're I, the only I get one it. With, I like music and movies. Yeah, you're the only one with like a normal ass targeted feed. I, I wonder what I'm doing to confuse this this algorithm. Masturbating. <laughs> I mean, probably frequent frequently while employing it. It's really become a problem. I imagine the carpal <laughs> tunnel alone is going to make our music career shortened by at least a decade. I will never do Ooh. fast triplets on uh, picking again. That's for sure. No. Yeah. Oh, that. I mean, that alone just sounds painful. Fast triplets. It's, uh, it's basically all my favorite a... metal and oh. all his favorite pornography. <laughs> fast, fast triplets. Zing. Jesus. So, yeah. speaking of things that John actually got me hooked on, based on prior episodes so we are just like fully fleshing this whole thing out it's, I it's have... like i said last week we don't actually reminisce during the anniversary 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 we... <laughs> take a drink i mispronounced the word be very um, very quiet michael is hunting anniversaries uh, um you jesus now i lost my train of thought we don't talk about the things right yes 
So, uh, the afterbirth here is uh, YouTube has finally become a thing for me and a go-to destination for one and two separate items. Okay. Firstly, the National Basketball Association is, of course, in the midst of the playoffs, so I can watch the full game highlights of everything, and I'm watching the game in short form with I don't check scores I just try to watch the highlights and watch the game as though it's happening so it's a, an immersive experience for me so I should okay. never text you about that again no okay please uh but then also I hit a really big nasty puddle of tar that has Uh-oh. completely wrapped me up GQ does interviews with actors about their most iconic roles. So they would sit down with, uh, as an example, the ones I watched last night, they had Danny DeVito uh, and, oh, heavens, Ethan Hawke. Like, they just grab throngs of actors. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal has one. Uh, Schwarzenegger has one. They grab so many random... Martin Freeman has an amazing one. But they will just sit down and ask them to talk about random strings of films. The ones that really got me, John Goodman has one. And um, Jeff Bridges has one. And, of course, there's a decent amount of Lebowski talk, but there's also tons of Coen Brothers conversation. And they will just sit and run down, you know, fun little stories about things that happened while they were on the set or why they made particular acting choices and things that... So for a cinephile or a cineast uh, like myself, I cannot stop watching these things. I will run them like seven to eight deep and they're 20 to 30 minutes per... Wow. Some of them are 40 minutes, and I cannot stop myself. It might be worthwhile. I think I might be able to throw that on at, at work. My my YouTube has gotten really weird lately because of the time being at work. So how I how yeah. I do like most of my shifts right now is I use Spotify to listen to podcasts. So I'll put in my earbud, like one earbud, because it's like a you know it's Samsung's version of i iPod or i whatever fuck. Um, I ear. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so I have I have a Galaxy Bud in one ear that has like a podcast. And then I'll use our our stereo system to use it like Google to throw on like a instrumental hip hop playlist or whatever, just a random radio station. And then it feels really bizarre to not have TVs on at that job because it's all I've ever known is like having Fair. different like media like you know, visually pleasing things just out of your corner of your eye. So I've been right. pulling up visualizers to put on the biggest TV in the the store of like, like yesterday it was hmm. just like space. Like it was like a satellite image that was just like going around the globe for like my entire Oh shift. yeah, because NASA has a lot of those streams where they just like have shots from the International Space Station and all that stuff. So Yeah, so my recommended cool. feed now went from being very like, hyper focus like oh my god everything youtube recommended for me i was like sweet to it's a jumble it's like hey here's some dead by daylight tips oh here's another 17 hour stream of somebody staring at a log and like all this dumb shit um but shane speaking of being a cinephile mm. do you uh, you have a better memory than i do and michael feel free to chime in but i know you haven't seen any of these movies um what's a movie exactly when you watch a movie, like if you were in recent memory, like finished watching a movie and just been like, God, that was incredible. I, I wonder if it won something and then feeling immediately validated by being like, oh, my God. Yeah, it totally fucking did. Mm. Uh, I rewatched Blade Runner 2049 uh, last week 
And the entire time I was like, I don't rem- I don't know why I haven't rewatched this since I saw it in theaters because it is remarkable. Like, it's just a gorgeous mm-hmm. movie. Overall, I enjoyed it because I watched the original Blade Runner before it uh, last week, too, just to flush the whole thing out. And amazing. And I was like looking it up and it won best cinematography and like everything. It was great. Anyway. Uh, what's funny is I was also thinking about this listening back to the After Dark when you were when you brought up the Lars von Trier. I didn't want to extend another forty minutes into that discussion. <laughs> um, I hated Melancholia when I watched it. I thought it was the biggest waste of time I had oh, ever shit. seen. Like, and I wasn't familiar with the Lars von Trier oeuvre. It was something a colleague of mine, Tony, who's a marvelous guy. Uh, he gave it to me to watch because he and I both really appreciate film, and he thought I would have liked it. Oh, man. But I, I think I need to go revisit it because, again, it's like I've said, I I really hated Mulholland Drive the first time I saw it. It was the worst film I'd ever seen in my life, and I've I've come to accept what it is, and I appreciate it a little bit more now. It's not going to be on my top ten list of things to watch, but I understand the meaning. Okay. Uh, but watching Melancholia was a slice of life of some of the most deplorable people just, you know, mean mugging each other for two hours. Okay. And just watching people putting the funk back in dysfunction. And then I will save the spoiler he was alluding to at the end there. But at the end, it's very visually stunning by the time you get to the end. So I, it's worth getting to. But it's two and a half hours in by the time you even get to that. And I was so beaten into the ground by hating Kirsten Dunst and all the other individuals in that movie. I was like, I hate this whole film and I don't get the point. But again, to his point, it's kind of this slice of life, a real shot of just watching people actually in what you would consider to be reality of watching how deplorable man's inhumanity to man is. So I guess, and that seems to be a very thematic sort of bit of continuity for Von Trier stuff is this idea of our own inhumanity to one another. Foibles, if you will. Right. Foibles. Well, I think it might be interesting for us to rewatch that around the same time. Hmm. Or for you to rewatch it around the same time that, that I watch it. And Michael, if you wanted to try and fail to join our our film club again... You know, I'd, I'd extend that olive branch. You we, know, if we if we actually get our schedules aligned and the planets aligned, we can always watch it and record our commentary. See, and then put it up somewhere. The only problem that mm-hmm. I have with that is mm-hmm. that I have my last note because I I wrote things that I wanted to make sure that I said to you guys today. But I think that we should save that for October because what okay. I think we should do is a is a full episode. Um, you know, and we just tell the viewer or viewers, the listeners, press play now, and we should do a, a watch through of The Shining together in in October. Ooh, like that maybe would be the, marvelous. Maybe Done. to maybe to air the week of Halloween. That would be the Halloween episode. My only reticence in that entire thing is I am so enamored with the underlying score and the atmospheric kind of vibe of that film, particularly just the opening sequence. I love the musical pitches and the weird little lilting things that happen. Yeah. It's such a great atmosphere setter for that. I will miss that, but I can I can endure for the sake of the listeners. No, oh, I thought you would be saying like, shut the fuck up, I want to listen to this. <laughs> it's not like we want to turn into like mystery theater 3000, is that what it is? Right. Uh, we're not MST- trying to like... K- we're not- MST- MST3K... Jesus. Uh, bless you. Um, 
And it's I'm not like we're trying. Yeah, it's eleven. It's not like we're trying to roast <laughs> oh. roast the whole movie or anything. So I would right. be, like if we think we can do it while still like having some like fun chit chatty stuff throughout, then I'm I'm down for it. But I felt like it was it warranted yeah. bringing the discussion back up to see if maybe that was something we would want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can always put it up to the viewers, and if they think that it's an absolutely terrible idea, then. We'll listen to them. Otherwise, we'll probably just forge on ahead. I mean, look at the number of terrible ideas that we're actually putting into motion. I'm going to, you know, work with people who have no masks on and no concern for themselves or others in the sake of general welfare and health. So I'll do yeah. anything, apparently, for money. I have to teach these pe- those fuckers. So that's that's the thing I'm more afraid of. I can't just kick a person out. No, you can't actually attend your class that you're supposed to attend because you won't wear a mask. Like well, I need to ask and figure that out because I don't fucking know. Well, Michael, if you ever get fired from this position, uh, you can always take up a job at Miskatonic University. I would. Which leads us into our topic. <gasps> there we for go. For this week. Gasp. So, uh... In case you are now 40 minutes into this discussion and you don't know, (laughs) what we typically do on this podcast is we will present a random, obscure, or esoteric topic for all of you, the listeners. And in the course of discussing it for the sake of education, we will also leaven in a lie or two from time to time. And it is then incumbent on the co-hosts in your place, as the ersatz sort of listener for you... To uh, separate the fact from the fiction, to call out the lies, point at them, and say, interloper! Or posse. Posse. You can say posse whenever you want. I mean, I'm, I'm fine for that. And so, uh, the points, of course, mean nothing, and there are no winners in this game, but it's just fun for us, and it's the conceit for the whole podcast, so obviously that's what we're invested in doing. And this week, we are going to be discussing one of the greatest things that I have ever encountered, particularly the ramifications of pop culture that I have seen, or the permutations that existed beyond its original inception. We are going to discuss the Necronomicon. Yes. Metal fingers. Give it to me, Daddy. Please stop saying that. (laughs) Sorry, Dad. (laughs) Straighten up and fly right. Take you outside. As my father used to threaten... I'm a peacock, you gotta let me fly. Oh, Speaking nope. of, <laughs> Peacock, no, that is NBC's streaming uh, platform is called Peacock. And is that it really? Is... Oh, it's NBC? Yeah. I, I, didn't know, I didn't know who was tied to it. I thought it was almost like a quibby, well, like... it's their, uh, you know, logo, okay. so obviously they are the ones invested. Holy shit, I just got that. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> That makes a lot more sense now. Yes. I, so. I, I see why Welcome it's called the Peacock. World, Michael. Uh, <laughs> all right, so this is going to be my favorite episode, probably, do, do, because... Do. Is that the mating call of a peacock? Uh, just open up your mouth Katie and Perry. go, Ugh. That's your mating call. Baby, Whoa. I'm a firework? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wish you were, because you would have blown up ages ago. <laughs> I'm a dud. No, you're a sparkler, is what you are. <laughs> I like it when they flirt. Uh, it's 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 an awful lot of shimmer and no bang. That's Michael. I like that Don't on this show. Don't the wrong way or else I'll burn you. I like how we have this like very sitcommy will they won't they thing that's been going on for a while now. <laughs> yes, it's beautiful. Add the laugh track in right here. Uh, if you, if you do that, I will that. kiss you on the mouth or not, depending on what oh, you want. Jesus. <laughs> ah, tune in next week to find out. This is the worst version of moonlighting I've ever seen. (laughs) 
So, oh, I'm dead inside. The Necronomicon, also referred to as the Book of the Dead, or under a purported original Arabic title of Kitab al-Asif. I'm not going to explain anything about pronunciation or etymology of phrases like Michael did last week to bore everybody to tears. Thank so you. you'll... Is that, is the, Ar- do you say Aramaic? Uh, it's is that Arabic. Bullshit? No, Arabic, it's not. Arabic, sorry. Yes. Oh, it, dude, we're a sentence in. You're, you're not even going to trust me. I There's... always call bullshit within the first minute of you starting. Well, so... bullshit. Uh, there's going to be plenty of stuff for you to swing Posse. at, I promise. Uh, so it All is right. a, a fictional grimoire, which is a magical spell book or a tome, appearing in stories by the horror writer H.P. Lovecraft and his followers. It was first mentioned in Lovecraft's 1924 short story, The Hound, which was written in 1922. Though its purported author, the, and this is not my phrasing, this is our friend the notoriously difficult to deal with, Lovecraft, the Mad Arab, Abdul Alhazred, and it has been quoted a year earlier in Lovecraft's The Nameless City. Among other things, the work contains an account of the Old Ones, which is very big in the Lovecraft lore, which lends into, you know, the Thulu mythos and others, uh, their history, and of course, the means to summon them from the other dimension that they are slumbering in. So... Other authors, such as August Derleth and Clark Ashton Smith, also cited the Necronomicon in their works. Lovecraft approved of other writers building on his work, believing such common allusions built up a background of evil verisimilitude. So how's that for a quote? That's a that's a ten dollar word right there. Indeed. Define. 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 I'm not clicking on that right now. I'm I'm in, you know, tablet oh. mode. I'll never get back to this. Also, I totally oh. didn't remember, or I guess I never even, like, connected that it was H.P. Lovecraft. And I know that Michael has read, or I remember when Michael was going through his kick of, like, reading H.P. Lovecraft. And then he's mm-hmm. being like, hey, did you know that this guy was just, like, blatantly super racist? And I was like, super racist. I was like, I didn't really, I'd never really picked up on that. And then this week or this past week, uh, HBO debuted Lovecraft Country, mm-hmm. uh, which is their new show. And one, I highly recommend that you guys go watch the the pilot because it's a, it's a really good show so far, and it's in that weird area where it could go anywhere. And there's mm-hmm. okay, but also yeah, you it, you can pick up on on a lot of those those underlying racist the tones. problematic approaches yes yeah you know, anyway what's funny uh i love i really enjoy a lot of the spin-off series and other authors who run with the concepts of lovecraft much more than i like lovecraft it's kind of like david bowie i appreciate his songwriting but i don't like his singing same general principle i love lovecraft's ideas i'm very attached to them and i you know anything like bloodborne is my favorite game for a right, reason because it right. is very lovecraftian and so, you know, as these things begin to manifest, I start running. But the more I read Lovecraft, his his use of the language is a bit unwieldy. One, because of the time that he wrote in, but secondarily, just because he's a bit more enamored with the language than some. Like James Joyce, I can understand him being fixated on, you know, how florid the language is. Lovecraft just gets really mired in it at points. Uh, he takes a long time to get to a point. You're not getting necessarily bored but 
he takes a long time. He's almost like a lecturer sometimes. Mm, yes. When he tries to, he doesn't like try and explain everything, but he like, he's a lot like me, which is, I think like why I enjoy him so much because mm. he takes forever to get to a point and <laughs> your, your mind is already stretched to Euclidean dimensions. You don't understand what's going on. So our I, new I think phrase puts is it really well. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Shane. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to no. say, uh, uh you, you this... make a meal of it. You know, like, Lovecraft really makes a meal. I make a five-course meal. Yeah, you fucking do. So, <laughs> as of this very moment from now on, it'll be, and I'm Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> Cthulhu Flatagon. Okay. <laughs> it's a little. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, many readers... Uh, by the way, verisimilitude would mean just, uh, if I can try to whittle this out to the best of my ability... Uh, things that are similar to or in a similar vein, like things that bear a striking resemblance to one another, a facsimile thereof, like, okay. so just something that all these things bear a similar sort of evil feel to them. Gotcha. Uh, to answer your question from earlier. Thank you. Anywho. So many readers have believed it to be a real work, with booksellers and librarians receiving many requests for it. It's one of the reasons I love this topic. Oh, Pranksters. Okay have even gone so far as to list it in rare book catalogs, and a student smuggled a card for it into the Yale Library's card catalog. Bullshit. Bullshit. Actually happened. No fucking way. An attendee <laughs> of, of Yale University snuck a, a card for it into the card catalog, which is one of my absolute favorite, like, folk tales. Respect. So then you got the university library getting requests of like, I tried to find it on the shelf and it's not there. So could you, could you track it for me? Cause I want to look at it. I uh, like it. The fact that Lovecraft also refers to it being held by certain places also kind of lends to this as you'll yeah. see later. But so capitalizing on the notoriety of the fictional volume, real life publishers have actually printed many books entitled Necronomicon since Lovecraft's death. I might touch on that a little bit, but considering how long we've gone already, that might just be something that's unnecessary as we move Honestly, forward. Honestly, man, but... we don't have a, a fanfic read to do right now, so we can mm -hmm. go a little longer. That's fine. Yeah, it like we don't have to stop at an hour. Oh, if I don't. We're intend enjoying to. the conversation. Oh, good, good. All right, I'll shut up. <laughs> no, you <Good>. won't. <laughs> don't you lie to me, Posse. Uh, so how Lovecraft conceived the name Necronomicon is not clear. No small wonder. Okay. Uh, but Lovecraft did claim that the title came to him in a dream. I mean... Lovecraft wrote the title, as translated from the Greek, meant an image of the law of the dead. Though S.T. Joshi states that Lovecraft's own etymology is almost entirely unsound. I believe it. Thankfully, it's all Greek to me. So, uh... <laughs> No. There was also like Hilarious. a there was a paragraph going into the reasons why the words didn't make sense, and I have omitted that because I'm not Michael. So John, you're welcome. Ouch. <sighs> Let me you know just what? define what Greek means. I'm gonna go ahead and take a drink just just for celebratory reasons. That's what Greek <laughs> means, actually. That's uh, why all of those you know wonderful uh, fraternities and sororities do the same. It's Greek life, my friend. Opa. It's all Greek to me. You take a shot. Uh so. Lovecraft was often asked about the veracity of the Necronomicon and always answered that it was completely his invention. So he never purported it was a real work. So everyone just kind of ran with the ball on their own, having read his material. Uh, in a letter to Willis Conover, Lovecraft elaborated on his typical answer. 
Now, about the terrible and forbidden books, I am forced to say that most of them are purely imaginary. There never was any Abdul Alhazred or Necronomicon, for I invented these names myself. As for seriously written books on dark, occult, and supernatural themes, in all truth, they don't amount to much. Also, I find it very concerning that you ask me to put on pants. <laughs> There's no other pants rule in this shop. And that is why it's more fun to invent mythical works like the Necronomicon or the Book of Ibn. Or pants. <laughs> or pants. So, uh, reinforcing the book's fictionalization, the name of the book's supposed author, Abdul Al-Hazred, isn't even a grammatically correct Arabic name. Oh, Compounding this point, Love... Lovecraft's first use of the name Abdul Alhazred was apparently as a pseudonym he gave himself as a five-year-old. <laughs> no way. That, I, bullshit. Is, is that true? That is true. Oh, hey, every uh, idea now, that you have as a five-year-old is a valued and very, like, achievable thing, so you should hold on to that tight. Listen. I'm going to write down every idea my girlfriend's daughter has because she's five. So, Furthermore, how yeasty is this son of a bitch that at five he has a pseudonym? So do you think he was just born <laughs> racist and then by five years old he was probably like beaten, beaten this idea to death? In a Man, pub? I hope so. I believe it. Uh, oh, goodness. Well, so in 1927, Lovecraft wrote a brief pseudo-history of the Necronomicon, which was published in 1938 after his death, entitled History of the Necronomicon. In the history, Al-Hazred is said to have been a quote-unquote half-crazed Arab who worshipped the Lovecraftian entities Yog sothoth and Thulu in the early 700s CE. He is described as identifying himself as a prophet entrusted with guiding humanity into the Great Black Dawn. It's racially I you were charged. Say dong, and I got really yeah. Ugly. I was <laughs> yes. The Great Black Dong is brought to you by Lovecraft. <laughs> I mean, it would be on brand. <laughs> I mean, I like that better. Uh, the creature that stirs in the pants would I probably be the Lovecraftian title for that work? Oh, I, I think he Instead inspired BBC, the, uh... it's BBD. Yeah, I think he inspired the movie. It comes at night. <laughs> And Black Snake Moan, all at once. <laughs> well, they mostly come at night. Mostly. Mostly. Uh, he is purported as having visited the ruins of Babylon, the subterranean secrets of Memphis, and the empty quarter of Arabia, uh, seeking texts about ceremonial magic and the ritual use of drugs to inform his rituals to conjure the elder gods from their ancient slumber through transdimensional portals. And that is what the Necronomicon okay, so like is supposed to does. entail. Yes. Or for those of you who have <laughs> watched the film Hellboy, the original one with Ron Perlman, that's kind of the, it's a very Lovecraftian kind of storyline that they tell. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. Hmm. So in his last years, uh, the uh, Mad Arab lived in Damascus, where he wrote the Al-Azif before his sudden and mysterious death. In 738. In subsequent years, Lovecraft wrote, the book gained considerable, though surreptitious, circulation amongst the philosophers of the age, 
and impelled certain experimenters to terrible attempts. Again, the the man is a fuck what is long-winded, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, resulting in the work and its myriad translations being banned, suppressed, and burnt, as most cultures deemed it a work of absolute evil. Is that according to Lovecraft? True. That's not bullshit. Yes. No, that is not bullshit. But again, this is his claim, so he's kind of it's his own self-aggrandizing thing. Is that the the Necronomicon has very it's very difficult for any copies of it to endure because any culture that sees it, it's kind of you know it's destroyed on sight because it's nothing but evil. Uh, there's kind of it it lies in the same kind of like the ninth gate idea that they had to burn you know every copy of the the book written by Satan so that people can't get their hands on it right same principle uh according to Lovecraft, the work has all but disappeared in the modern era, which to him is the twentieth century of course uh, early twentieth century uh michael there's a callback for you here. Uh, he cites a vague account of a secret copy appearing in San Francisco during the current 20th century, that later perished in fire. Uh, this is the first noted appearance since the burning of a certain Salem man's library in 1692. Apparently an allusion to the Salem witch trials where the, a copy of the Necronomicon was apparently held. So he, Gotta tie it all together. He's threading like himself it. through history in a, in a very, you know, Morty McFly sort of way. Yeah. That's what you do. Yes, naturally. <laughs> uh, according to History of the Necronomicon, the very act of studying the text is inherently dangerous, and those who attempt to master its arcane knowledge generally meet terrible ends. Ooh. You go so mad. Everybody goes I mean, mad. I watched Final Destination. I know how this works. It's, uh, the one thing I really love, and Asher kind of pointed it out to me, uh, about, since, you know, we can all relate to Bloodborne, since we've all encountered it in one way, shape, or form, uh, yes. the idea of frenzy is very much tantamount Ooh, to a Lovecraftian yeah. idea, because you go insane from the exposure to these entities. So when you see something like the, you know, uh, what is it, the Winter Lantern or whatever the heck, you know. The giant thing yeah. with a bunch of eyes yes. that Winter causes Lantern. a lot of frenzy yes. at once. When yes. you oh, encounter it... one of those, you're almost immediately dead unless you have a significant amount of, you know, stuff to, to swig down to save yourself. And that's a very, it's a Lovecraftian kind of uh, idea. And now that we only have five listeners left, Shane, do you want to describe how to make a bomb? I, I can, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jokes and a er, Jesus. Now that we're being watched by the government, it's jokes. <laughs> it's all just a joke. I love my country. Cunt. <laughs> Shane? Uh. My cunt. Oh, Jesus Christ. Anyway, please. Anywho. Continue. Uh, so, the, uh, I was going to mention one of my favorite Lovecraftian tales, though, as much as I would besmirch him earlier. I really, he has one called uh, Pickman's Model which depicts a gentleman who is doing, like, life paintings. Uh, and he he does, like, demons and these disgusting scenes where, like, women are being eviscerated by a giant feral animal and things like this. And so a the narrator of the tale goes down with him into his studio, which is a series of subterranean caverns underneath a church, I think. And he walks to all these weird little pits, and as they're exploring the area... There is a noise that they hear, and Pikmin pulls a gun out of his pocket and runs to investigate the noise, telling the narrator to stay here 
don't move. And he runs away. And as the narrator looks around, he picks up a photograph and is a photograph of one of these monsters. So the idea is that Pikmin actually has access to one of these portals and he's keeping these creatures and painting them from life as opposed to them just being, you know, facets of his imagination that he's conjuring up and painting. It would very interesting story. It'd be like running into H.R. Geiger when he was a Giger? Geiger? Geiger, yeah. Geiger. Uh, when he was alive and just being like, oh, yeah, they actually exist. These things that I, mm. I've manifested are, are, are fucking yes. real. Because that was like what people would say about Geiger's art. It's like, we don't know how he gets the this dark, like the imagery that he brings out, like the monsters and things that he's created. Like, it's so unsettling because there's no other way to come up with that idea than from experience. Like, right. I, I, you know. And funnily and, enough. And that's why Alien was such a, like, memorable mm-hmm. movie. Because of his design. Oh, yeah. You see a xenomorph and you know it's a fucking xenomorph. You know what's mm-hmm. funny? Uh, so it's actually pronounced Giger. I'm sorry. I've watched enough documentaries. Oh. Someone's going to rake me over the coals. My apologies. The copy of a book that I have right now of Giger's artwork is entitled Necronomicon. So keeping oh. us on, on brand here. Okay. Giger is another really? one of those acolytes of this movement. Uh, we'll have a, we'll have a talk about Giger at some point because he's actually involved in Yodorovsky's Dune which is what lends him going into really? the Alien franchise. But, uh, I need all right. to read that. It's, it's fantastic. The The documentary about Yodorovsky's Dune as well is well worth watching if you haven't checked it out. Uh, anywho, callback, callback on another callback. So the Necronomicon mm. is frequently mentioned in an array of Lovecraft's short stories and novellas. However, despite numerous references to the book, Lovecraft was very sparing of details about its appearance and contents, uh, which I think has helped to kind of perpetuate the mythology along. It's the, uh, you know, general principle that you get that the less you show is more allow the readers to kind of manifest it on their own. Uh, or the Hitchcock principle, as we would call it. I was going to say, I wonder how much he like kind of took from that sort of like, Never mind. I'm having a stroke here. You're fine. Uh, I was gonna say he does precede Hitchcock, so uh, yes. by quite a significant yes. amount. I would, I would, I would be curious to see how many of these novellas that Hitchcock had read. Mm. Um, Interesting. Just to see, like, not necessarily mm-hmm. like the general themes or the the characters in there, but just how untold a lot of these things are, mm. because Lovecraft does rely a lot on. The theory of it's in the dark, you can't see it. Right. The theory of the unknown. Because yes. that's that's the, he kind of, I don't know if he coined the term, but a lot of people call his work existential horror, mm-hmm. which is why I was drawn to it so much, being a physics, be, someone that studies physics, like in the fact that like we can't understand the, the workings of these elder right. gods. Right. And so the idea of showing, or not even showing, but like just keeping it in the dark, I wonder how much Hitchcock kind of like was influenced by that. It's an interesting parallel. Yeah, it's something I haven't uh, correlated openly frequently. So, Uh, And we'll touch on that in a moment, as a matter of fact. Ooh. So uh, he once wrote that if anyone were to try to write the Necronomicon, it would disappoint all those who have shuddered at cryptic references to it. Uh, oh, that's smart. <laughs> uh, the Necronomicon is undoubtedly a substantial text, as indicated by its description in the Dunwich Horror uh, in 1929. In the story, Wilbur Whatley visits Miskatonic University's library, which Miskatonic University, for those uninitiated, is a university Lovecraft made up. 
And so it is, uh, he uses it anytime he needs to have a scapegoat to go to like a, an area of knowledge. So he made up professors that taught at it and he attributes a lot of things to things that happen at Miskatonic University. Uh, Stephen was very insistent I needed to have a much larger passage to discuss that, and I will get into that at some other point. It's a fair point. Yeah, I I, I, I agree. So uh, Wilbur Watley goes to the Muscatonic, or Miskatonic University's library to consult the unabridged version of the Necronomicon, which they do have in their collection, uh, for a spell that would have appeared on the 751st page of his own inherited but defective edition. Uh, the Necronomicon passage in question states, let me put on my Lovecraft voice again, Slithering serpentine through dimensions like maggots in spent offal, the old ones aim to invade this plane and propagate madness through beguiling our bestial brains. Existing outside the spaces we know, they walk serene and primal, undimensioned and unseen. And should they finally appear amongst us after these endless eons, even death may die. The Black Dawn will bloom at their behest, and they will be the authors of our oblivion. And also, if you put your cookie dough into the oven while it is preheating, you will have a better cookie experience. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why Lovecraft is a Keebler elf. <laughs> That's on page eight hundred and twenty-one, not seven fifty-one. You're you're just you're all over the place, John. You need to t- cite your sources, man. Prozoan preheating. I don't even have one tab <laughs> open. I don't give a frick. And it shows. <laughs> so, bruh. <laughs> According to Lovecraft's history of the Necronomicon, copies of the original Necronomicon were held by only five institutions worldwide. There's a list coming, gentlemen. Prepare. I'm waiting for Michael's bullshit. The White oh, House. Oh, God. I have to remember. I also, I'm a dope, and I didn't tell you all how many lies there were. And it's now okay. I, I feel bad. I kept wanting to ask, but I kept forgetting. I'm sorry. So. I, uh, I have neglected to mention it. Um, so. Oh, no. Not the game show that we've invented that doesn't have a prize or a point. I know, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> it's the whole point of the podcast. Well, so uh, air quotes point. There are uh, three lies in the show. And we've missed them all. You have missed them all. So <laughs> from here on in. <laughs> why? why do, I just not, wanted to make sure. I forgot whether or not I had any others coming. But the, I fair. pun intended. Uh, so. According to the history, here are the five institutions where they hold copies of the Necronomicon. Just since it's a a trope for us to have lists that are fabricated, I figured I'd go with it. Uh, Fair. The British Museum. So Indiana Jones is happy. Mm -hmm. The Bibliothèque Nationale de France. Uh, The Widener Library of Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The University of Buenos Aires. And the library... And Craig's house. Uh, and <laughs> the library of the fictional Miskatonic University, also in the fictitious Arkham, Massachusetts. So, oh, the HBO show makes a lot more sense now because there is an Arkham that they are heading to in the show. Okay, and you just thought it was a Batman reference? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> <is> it, <laughs> it's like what is this? 
I was like, it's a really unoriginal pull, but I still like this show because the characters are well-written so far. <laughs> Lovecraft don't know nothing about no Batman. I am curious to see, like, where that name originated from because I, I can't imagine that, like, when they're like, oh, where's Batman going to be set and they come up with Arkham. Like, oh, but, oh, yeah, let's make him Lovecraft. Well, like, Lovecraft wrote I feel the like original there's a, Batman. Um, I'm going to call posse on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, true. Just, just, yeah, yeah. Um. But I wonder if it's just like if it's just a common word or, or something like that. I I have no idea. But like just that that connection just seems so faulty that I right. I have to question it. You know. Well, we'll table that for later discussion. We'll we'll actually investigate Ooh. whether we can find out the origin, uh, uh, Arkham origins. In fact, ah, for you gamers out the, there, the the least <laughs> recognized <laughs> game out of those four. That's what I'm called for, Michael. I mean, it's it's it is the worst one, but I mean that's just because yeah. they gave it to another company. Anywho, exactly. So although Lovecraft insisted that the book was pure invention, and of course other writers invented passages from the book for their own works, there are accounts of some people actually believing the Necronomicon to be a real book. Of course, we alluded to the one earlier where pranksters were putting stuff in the uh, Yale Library. Uh, Lovecraft himself sometimes received letters from fans inquiring about the authenticity of the Necronomicon and it, his ability to provide chapters. Uh, there are, of course, pranksters who offered uh, copies of it for sale uh, for astronomical amounts of money and then would never provide it, of course. Uh, right. Like Blood Circus before it. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, the uh, Vatican also receives requests for this book frequently from those who believe the Vatican <laughs> Library holds a copy. I mean, that's that that doesn't seem too out of the ordinary for me. I mean, when you think about exorcisms and stuff like that, people would be like, "Oh, demons, elder gods." Well, uh, and if you want to fight thing. evil, you must know evil. So you know, if you've got a researcher yeah. who wants to combat the elder gods breaking into our astral plane, got to read the book. Yeah, no, it seems reasonable enough to me. I'm I'm not surprised at these uh, at people believing this stuff is real. I mean, uh, I don't know if you guys knew about this one case that happened. You, you, you are both aware of Slenderman, right? Yeah, the internet phenomenon. Vaguely, thing, the copy pasta. There's this other one. There was a case. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. What? No, no. Go ahead. There was a case that I a couple years ago. I will put it in the show notes where. Uh, so the idea behind Slenderman is it's it's an internet phenomenon urban legend what have you where it's this like big long creepy dude without a face that steals children right and these two girls actually uh stabbed one of their classmates almost to death in a ritual to slender man who was just invented on the internet like literally the guy that had the guy has been like they found the person who posted the original pictures Correct. of Slenderman, and it was actually an internet sort of like there's challenge a, to try and Photoshop these pictures of it. There's a great documentary on everything that you've just described on HBO. Is there? A hundred percent. I totally believe it. It it's, it's been a couple of years, yeah. and it's yes, it is. So I will. I won't link the HBO thing, but I'll link a some sort of connection to and it. That but, is like, also. An aspect of uh, the entire storyline for the Black Tapes podcast, which I know I have mentioned previously on here. You have. Yes. So if you go back, the, the Slender Man plays a very pivotal role in their own mythology throughout the arc of that really? show. Their ending is abysmal, but the show and some of the acting is leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah. But the show was compelling. It's fun to fun to listen to. 
And on the on the same note, and like you know, things that are like kind of like made up and abysmal endings. Uh, have you guys ever checked out the Bible? You guys ever checked out yes. that little? <laughs> the ending is the best part of that book, though. I got to tell you, uh, uh, honestly, yeah, I read up to what was it? I think it was Numbers or Leviticus, and I was like, "Screw it, skip to the end." Talking and I read, about talking uh, about Revelation, authors so. really making a fucking meal out of something before trying to make a point. Fuck. Uh, yes, you got to do what you got to do, man. All right, and those five listeners got to sell them down books. Two, three, and that's us proofing the episode. So yes, Shane. <laughs> Woo. Oh goodness! All right. So, uh, uh, similarly, the University of uh, or the University Library of Tromsø, Norway, lists a translated version of the Necronomicon, which is attributed to Petrus de Dacia, and it's published in 1994. Although the document is listed as unavailable, so it has been lost. A likely story. Yes, it's clickbait in library form. I love it. Uh, in 1973, the Owlswick uh, Press issued an edition of the Necronomicon written and, uh, which was an, I'm sorry, the press issued an edition. You're ed- sounding like me I hit, I hit a Michael, <laughs> uh, like a hole there, uh, unfortunately. Rop, and I'm Lovecraft. And I'm Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliantly done. So the Owlswick Press issued, a, issued an edition of the Necronomicon written in an indecipherable, apparently fictional language known as Duriac. This uh, <laughs> was a limited pressing of 348 copies. Oh man, I wonder how much those would sell for today. Just like, yeah, it's the Necronomicon. You can't read it, can't decipher it. But it's a Necronomicon. What are you going to do Pay about for it? it? Also, 300,000. Doesn't yeah. Duriac sound like an anti-nausea medicine? Yes. The first thing I heard of was durian, the fruit. Uh, oh. It's You've never heard of a durian? No. It's I have no idea where it's from, but it's a giant. It's like the size of your head. But when you crack it open, it's supposed to, the smell is supposed to be so revulsive that you like auto, almost automatically vomit. But uh, uh, again, link in, I'll link in the show notes there. But it's, Michael, it's you've called been very charged towards Shane lately. Yeah, revulsive. I, I've just been heated. Repulsive, Re- revulsive. Uh, yeah, repulsive is good, um, and revolting. I'm take is a good. drink. Revulsive is not a word. I don't. I think. combine the two. Yes. a portmanteau uh, to to try and pronounce a French Bless word you. there. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, when you crack my head open, there's a smell that comes out of it that is also repulsive to some and alluring to others. Do you like pineapple? I did an eyebrow thing there for those that can't. Uh, I like asparagus. (laughs) Oh, man. That reminds me of a uh, Father John Uh, Misty song called Two Wildly Different Perspectives. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Uh, We're almost done with this nonsense, kids. So the line between fact and fiction was further blurred in the late 70s when a book purporting to be a translation of the real Necronomicon was published. The book, uh, by the pseudonym or the pseudonymous Simon, had little connection to the fictional Lovecraft mythos, but was instead based on Sumerian mythology. Uh, later dubbed the Simon Necronomicon, the work has never been out of print and has sold eight hundred thousand copies by two wow. by two thousand six, wow. which makes it the most popular Necronomicon to date. Uh, despite its contents, the book's marketing focused heavily on the Lovecraft connection, because why not stand on the shoulders of giants, uh, and made sensational claims for the book's magical power and potency. 
The blurb states that it was potentially the most dangerous black book known to the Western world. That's racist. That almost seems like a conspiracy theory book there. Yeah. That would be like on the blurb, and it's like an 80-page book on how, I don't know, some race is destroying the world or something stupid like that. And I only have enough money to buy either that book or the new Game Shark book with all the cheat codes. So I'm going to go for the Game Shark (laughs) book. Nice. I was going to say the closest correlation I had to what Michael was talking about is the Tool song, Dier von Satan, where it is a, a cookie recipe that is said in German at a very angry and a hostile tone with like marching sounds in the background, but it's just a recipe that he's reading in, in German. I, I'm going to say that most German sounds angry to, um, American ears. Me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Real talk. The, uh, <laughs> the most uncomfortable thing that I've ever had happen at bottle shop in the past year outside of, you know, like the world being on fire was uh-huh. when Tool's catalog was finally released to streamables and it was on Spotify. So it was in that, that month time frame. Everyone was like, okay, let's see if I still like Tool. You know, and I'm pretty sure I probably mentioned something about it on the podcast then. Um, but I threw on the, that album at work like late at, later at night. And I had one customer walk in during that song. And I was like, I promise I'm not listening to hateful German shit. Like I'm not listening to like Nazi rock. Like it's... <laughs> It's not like that. No, it's a fun song. I actually, I, I appreciate it immensely. Uh, just from a satirical standpoint, that they really hit the nail on the head with it. Well, you know, it's funny uh, to devolve entirely again. Uh, apropos of the conversation you were having with Duan, I had a very similar experience uh, in Tower Records. So for your Neil Pert conversation, I had one when Dimebag got shot. Uh, there was a slew of metalheads that worked for us at the time who insisted that I, as the manager, let them put on Pantera all night. And so I was like, you know what, man, I, I like Pantera. I'm not going to argue with you. Go ahead and put on like two records and then just kind of bounce back and forth. So I think we did Cowboys from Hell, of course, and maybe like Power Trip. Um, and I got heavily scolded the next day because we're only supposed to we got paid for the things that go into the play stock so individuals from record companies would give us money to incentivize that we would push records they wanted to sell so us you know reducing that number by putting pantera on which we're not being paid for got some folks very upset at corporate uh and and plus we opened copies of the cd that we would have sold in order to play them which got folks really upset so yeah that's my Oh, uh, I had a I had a great night. I was like, could you just please get this over with? Because I don't want to hear this anymore. Just play Cemetery Gates 1800 times tonight, kids, so you can mourn. But anyway, right. I digress for no good reason. I just, it, it occurred to me as you no. were talking about folks walking into the store. No, for sure. Uh, so the Simon Necronomicon, of course, due to its burgeoning popularity of 800,000 copies sold, they then published two uh, additional, no, three additional volumes subsequently. The Necronomicon Spellbook, uh, a book of pathworkings with the 50 names of Marduk, for those of you who enjoy uh, demonology. Uh, Dead Names, The Dark History of the Necronomicon, which is a history of the book itself and of the late 1970s New York occult scene. And The Gates of the Necronomicon, Instructions on Pathworkings with the Simon Necronomicon. So go figure. Okay. 
Yeah. A another hoax version of the Necronomicon, of course, appeared in 1978, which was edited by George Hay, uh, and included an introduction by the paranormal researcher and writer Colin Wilson. Uh, David Langford described how the book was prepared from a computer analysis of a discovered ciphertext by Dr. John D. The result like of, his, his he doesn't have an actual last name or it's D D E. It's actually uh, D's okay. nuts. Indeed. <laughs> oh, short for D. Uh, Doctor John D's nuts. <laughs> uh, the resulting translation was in fact written by the occultist Robert Turner, and it was far truer to the Lovecraftian version than the Simon text, and uh, even incorporated quotations from Lovecraft's stories in its passages. In any event. This goes on and on. There are a lot of people who have tried to kind of dovetail and steal the Necronomicon and use it for their own. In particular, uh, I'm not running through any more of this stuff. There's another eight paragraphs of subset works. But uh, we all know there are myriad appearances in television and film. The most famous that I can, of course, recall is the Evil Dead franchise, which is glorious. uh, And uh, if you haven't seen them... You should investigate. Yes, John. Michael, have you seen them? Nope. All reliable. I, I already said no. You son of a bitch. I'm in. Why do you even think that I would see that? You like, know what's funny? My favorite part of the original um, Evil Dead is when they find the tape and they're listening to the gentleman discussing the Naturon de Monto and reading yes. out the spells that he can conjure the creatures of the forest with. That is my favorite. Like, ex- exposition scenes in films are my favorite thing. Like, my favorite yeah. Indiana Jones segments are when they're explaining the Ark of the Covenant or they're talking about the creation of, you know, all these other things. Like, like those are the building. ones that grab me. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. it's world building. Mm. It's it's the best part. Because it's always the promise of what's to come, and then they always fumble it. Yeah, I would say, Michael... If you skip Evil Dead 1, that's fine. I think Evil Dead 2, because of what Shane mentioned, like, there's so much exposition and, like, little callbacky stuff that it kind of, it holds your hand assuming that you haven't seen the B-horror movie before it. Yes. Um, mm. But is there is there more, Shane? Is that... Well, oh, dude, there's tons. Isn't there, isn't there a Sam versus Evil Dead or something like that that came out, like, a couple, like... Ash versus the Evil less, Dead. Less, yes, it's the television Ash, show. damn it, you're yeah. right, you're right, you're right. Uh, yes, there okay. are, there are... But that's with the original actor, right? From, from Evil Dead? Yes, Bruce Campbell. The gentleman yeah, who plays okay. Ash. Sam, is, okay. Yeah, okay. Who's Sam? I thought you said Sam, sorry. I thought you said Sam, John, never are mind. Are you having... Ignore me! Are you having a stroke? <sighs> Do I need to call you I'm some help? I'm always having... Constant strokes. I'm gonna here. call an ambulance oh, and Jesus. tell him to go past we your house. Wait until your five year old's out of the room. Oh my Satan! What? Uh, so and and me and me, Shane. Please. All right. Here's a, a couple. Uh, of course, Ex Mortis uh, featured as a primary plot point in the Evil Dead film series. Of course, uh, based on the Necronomicon, the book in the Evil Dead franchise is also called the Naturum de Monto. Uh, unlike Lovecraft, uh, Lovecraft's original, the Evil Dead version is portrayed as having outright inherent magical properties triggered through incantations. Uh, while some expanded universe stories, such as Marvel Zombies versus the Army of Darkness, uh, portrays the book as being actually sentient and capable of conversing with Ash Williams and other characters. Which I love that they have a face on it in certain depictions yeah. where it's a book 
It's uh, it's actually supposed to have been bound in human by skin. Flesh. Yeah. Oh, by a hell scholar. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of fun with that, and of course, it's also uh, it showed up in uh, Friday the Thirteenth uh, for Jason Goes to Hell. Apparently, uh, the the director intended to suggest the Necronomicon was used in the resurrection of Jason Voorhees in some form. Okay. Which one was that? Was that like the eighth or ninth one? Uh, it's the final Friday, so it might have been like I think sixth or seventh, if I'm remembering correctly. Because then you had like Jason X, Jason in space. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the Jason X, because that was the one that he was in space. Yes. That's the only one I really know anything about. I think I saw like the first thirty minutes of it. That's pretty much all you need to see. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there's apparently also Necronomicon, a 1994 film anthology of three Lovecraft stories which was directed Ooh. by Brian Yuzna, uh, Christopher Gans, and Shusuke Kaneko. I apologize okay. for my accent. As you should. <laughs> yes. Uh, though the Necronomicon does appear in uh, Afterlife with Archie, for those who are fans of the zombie <laughs> okay. Archie phenomenon. Uh, you also can encounter it there. So anyway... That is what we have. It's There's so much that you can run with. There are myriad little tributaries that we run off with people taking and running with the concept of the Necronomicon, which is fun. So entertaining bits. So, gentlemen, stabs while we're here on what may have been false. Other than stupid things that... Is the Necronomicon an actual story? No. Exactly. Obviously, yes. Yeah, no, okay. I have nothing. Yes. Yeah. No, I got John, anything? There. No, I'm. I'm okay. Well. <laughs> uh, well, I. It's a lot, and of course, with a lot of my things, uh, there they tend to be text heavy. So, but this was a topic I was absolutely just completely entranced by. I could tell you have a lot of interesting information here. Like you definitely did your. Homework. I am a big fan of the Elder God mythos, naturally, and has spent a decent amount of time with it. So. Here, here, you're going to have some fun with this, gents. Oh, jeez. The Mad Arab, uh, whereas the actual description, so what I said, the lie, is he described described as identifying himself as a prophet entrusted with guiding humanity into the Great Black Dawn. That is not true. Uh, That (gasps) is purely something that Shane came up with. And you joked about the the black dong, so you you could have run with it if you tried. But oh, uh, the jokes, I I managed to lead you astray enough with the the chuckles. I should have asked about what he meant by the black dawn because that didn't sound familiar in any of the novellas or short I was, stories that I read of Lovecraft. I was waiting for you to weigh in because you were the one that had knowledge. Yeah, no, no, I did. I I, I let us down. I should have known Would better you like- because I always loved when they reference. Al or Zed. I, I butchered that. It's okay. Anyway. Uh, would you like to know what it actually said for yes. the installment on Wikipedia? Please. Uh, he is described as being from Sana'a in Yemen. <laughs> 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 they have no further explanation of who he is. It's just, this is, uh, he was described as being from Yemen. And he He's visited places. Yeah, he went he was, places. He was from the peninsula. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a guy. The South he traveled. Part. He was cool. So then, subsequently, the other lie I made up is then what he does. Because uh, where he was seeking texts about ceremonial magic and the ritual use of drugs to inform his rituals to conjure the Elder Gods, uh, I directly stole materials from Aleister Crowley, 
who actually did go use uh, drugs ritualistically and go to pursue. Uh, I added in the stuff about conjuring the Elder Gods from other dimensions because that is what most of the Lovecraft lore surrounds. But uh, yeah, he didn't, they never said anything about him going. It's just, oh, he visited these places seeking texts. Man, I swear I thought there was some sort, but I thought there was some sort of drug reference in previous stories that he writ, wrote, but then I realized that like he was pretty much a prude. Mm. I mean, he was a home buddy. He didn't really do anything aside from writing a lot of texts. He didn't really do anything outside um, because he was afraid of people, mm. um, of minorities. Uh, All right. That's neither here nor there. But like, <laughs> so the fact that like his his character, one of his main important characters that sets a lot of the universe, like did drugs to get to his like to, to come to his conclusions, like. I don't know why it just didn't click. Well, I mean, me. he was. I'm a little upset. He was myself. a mad Arab, my friend. So, allegedly. Uh, now, finally, the yes. Uh, I was hoping, and I'm glad because you you both have been sniffing these out really well. Um, the quote from the Necronomicon is not Lovecraft. That is all me. From seven. <sighs> So the sl- slithering serpentine through the dimensions like maggots in Spent Awful is all Shane Hunt, my friends. So wow, uh, I did add in a couple phrases he uses. Uh, undimensioned and unseen is one that he uses frequently in that passage. But would you like to get a sample of what actually is said in that? Before you do okay. that, I just want to say how annoyed I am. Because in du- I think it was done to a tour, uh-huh. they do quote... A small snippet from a page mm-hmm. that is cited. I think I, I thought it, it was seven fifty one. Yes. It. So when you said it was that specific number, I'm like, oh, of course this isn't a lie because it's what he's talking about. Like they reference a number in this book. Okay. So, so uh, here's you got here's there. a passage because this thing is eight paragraphs long, um, and I could not read this all without just putting the both of you to sleep, but. Um, Nor is it to be thought that man is either the oldest or the last of Earth's masters, or that the common bulk of life and substance walks alone. The old ones were, the old ones are, and the old ones shall be. Not in the spaces we know, but between them. They walk serene and primal, undimensioned, and to us unseen. Yogg-Sothoth knows the gate. Yogg-Sothoth is the gate. Yogg-Sothoth is the key and guardian of the gate. Past, present, future, all are one in Yogg-Sothoth. This goes on. <sighs> like, it is the most self-aggrandizing bit of nonsense since the, uh, like, cheese quesalupa from Taco Bell. Also, it's I just, really love hey, that, like... don't you talk shit about the cheese quesalupa. Also, I really love that he's, like, forcing people to speak with an impediment. Like, it's like uh, the joke in Pop Star where he's like, "Yeah, I wrote this song after going to Spain, but in Spain they're like a spin," <laughs> and so he he writes the entire song with like a spin. <laughs> it's like the... <laughs> so I can't just say the name again in that quote. What's what's the uh, the thing that he keeps uh, fucking blathering? Yog Sothoth. Yog Sothoth. It's like you're trying to suck your own tongue while you're talking. <laughs> well, the way that it's spelled, it is pretty much you got to suck on your own tongue in order to pronounce or it. Or his tongue, maybe. 
Yeah, it's like S S O T H O T H. So yes, uh, it's S O T H O T H. Yep. Well, mm. that is some. See, I know something amazing. I've done Reddit. Tell you what. Tell you what. So that gentleman. Uh, oh, they do reference Thulu in that in that post though. You mean uh, Cthulhu? At one point. You mean the Cthulhus? Fuck off. I was gonna ask. It, it so it is pronounced. No, Thulu, that's how I pronounce it because uh, the way that he phonetically wrote out the pronunciation when I've looked up Lovecraft's description. You can't pronounce it. There's, it's intended to be an alien tongue. So okay. uh, it's, it's like Cthulhu Flatagen. Yeah, it's. I know that I pronounce that not you. at all correct, but I gotta try. <laughs> yes. So what? Uh, here's. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, Who hath seen the deep frozen city or, or the sealed tower long garrisoned with seaweed and barnacles? Great Thulu is their cousin, yet can he spy them only dimly? Aya Shub Nigrahath. It's Lovecraft being racist again. Uh, As a foulness shall ye know them. Their hand is at your throats, yet ye see them not. And their habitation is even one with your guarded threshold. So Shane's been talking and like quoting these things and slowly mascara and like heavy, heavy makeup is starting to appear on his face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is, he's going goth. He's going full goth. By God. I feel like I, stop, I stop conjured the something. The gothic. <laughs> stop the damn match. This man's got a family. <laughs> uh, well, that was fun. Yeah. I like it. I like that you Mankind. did the exorcismiths and now. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you did the and now you've done this. Uh, it's a really good lane. I think you could like tackle more of this shit. No, no, just uh, just lap it up. What? All right. Well, don't uh, don't threaten me with a good time. Uh, speaking of lapping up, should I tease what I want to do next? Please. Week? Yeah, whip it out and tease me. Okay. Well, oh. before you start, is is Mister Watkins going to have a chance to uh, to present another topic? Oh, true. I I don't want to assume I, uh, that John doesn't want to do a topic. I have not looked into. I'd a rather topic. him let me down in person. Yeah, I have what? not looked into a topic. I will not have one for you next oh. week. Topic. I, I'm getting a lot of uh, first season vibes mm. right now. Have you Ooh. guys heard of the Da Vinci Code? What's that about? <laughs> oh. oh, Jesus! Please. Did no. I tell you my Da Vinci Code story? <laughs> No, but let, no. let Michael tease and let's end on your Da Vinci. Okay. All right, do it. All right, fine. Um, so this is a topic almost near and dear to your heart, John. Um, instead of talking about what you love the most, uh, Pika, um, Pika, I'm going to be talking about the... Pika, Pika please. My apologies. My apologies. Um, I'm going to be talking about a, um, a field of alternative medicine um, known as urine therapy. Which is oh, man, what R. Kelly was giving to people for years. We are one hole away Ooh. from something actually interesting. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I figured I would say this and kind of uh, hopefully, you know, get you to do something on, uh, you know, Pika or uh, Pika or whatever, well, whatever you kids Michael, if you want nowadays. me to rub feces on your face, just ask. Um, Listen, Michael, I if, would, he, doesn't, if, I if he doesn't do the topic, though, Michael, you can't be pissed off. 
<laughs> Hi, no. All right. I'm not. I'm not going to respond to that. Fuck me to death with your Da Vinci story. <laughs> Tell me the story. <laughs> so, uh, I swear, I'm not trying to be uh, problematic with any of this, but... Oh, no. Uh, but you're going to be problematic no, with no, this? No, I'm just... Uh, <laughs> this is not me talking about Straight out of Compton again, I promise. <laughs> I That wasn't problematic. Good. Sorry. I'm glad. Uh, so, I... I went and saw The Da Vinci Code by myself at the um, the theater in the now defunct mall in Peoria. I am totally spacing on the on the name. Arrowhead is defunct. No, Metro Metro Center. Center. Oh, I forget. I forget. Metro Center is in Peoria. Yes. Never mind. They forgot. Right, you're so, right. You're right. Uh, I go to Met. I go to Metro, and for those who do not live in the Phoenix metropolitan area, Metro Center is in a bit more of a uh, a more run-down part of town. It's kind of a more derelict mall. The reason it sketches the fuck, reason it, it is really now is. closed down is because most of the stores had closed, and so you maybe had three to four places still open and the food court that was still functioning. So I go to Metro Center to watch this movie. And I am, of course, you know, and when they get to the reveal, I've, I've read the book before. I knew what was, you know, in the offing, but a woman had a fully like inflamed meltdown and stood up and began to hysterically scream at the screen when they showed, you know, the idea that Christ was, you know, spoilers, not divine and his divinity was voted upon. No, not even better. She stands up, and I'm not doing the affectation to to do anything wrong, but just for the sake, she points at the screen, and in the midst of this raving jabbering, she goes, "Not my Jesus!" Over and over. You know exactly who Uh -uh. that was. I don't have a problem with that voice because you know exactly who that was. Karen. (laughs) Yes. Shut up, Karen. Put on your fucking mask. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah that's my anytime uh, i hear topical. da vinci code that's the first thing is immediately oh, i man. start hearing in my head not my jesus hashtag not my in jesus she is not ready for angels and demons no not at all <laughs> you know what's funny is i was actually just talking about this too is that dan brown kind of predicted all of this stuff uh if you if anybody read his um the inferno book I have not read Inferno. I've read I read Angels okay. and Demons, Da Vinci Code, and Deception Point. That was it. Okay. So uh spoilers for Inferno is a it is a crazed uh madman who is like um he's a virologist or a, a scientist who works with viruses and he believes like Thanos later, uh because the book was of course written pre Avengers that the uh, human population was choking the planet to the extent that we do need to cause a cataclysmic event to occur to reduce our surplus population. So he creates a virus that will kill half of humanity indiscriminately, and he plans to release it. And so the whole idea for the story is that they are trying to catch up to you know where this person left the virus, and it is all inspired by Dante's Inferno. Got it. Okay. And uh, really interesting, but yes, okay. once we start getting, once the virus was out, I'm like, oh no, Inferno was real. They didn't catch it in time, and you now know, we're all just being... It was very fucked up watching uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe chronologically and getting to Endgame, like in the 
the big swell in Arizona, like for our relativity, like hitting the Thanos mm-hmm. point, being like, "Are we in a Thanos moment right now? Is this a? Is this? Oh fuck! Okay." But you know what, Shane? In, instead uh, of Michael, the, uh... I, I've kind of heard that you know, like the flu last year killed more people, so we're good, we're fine. Don't worry about it, guys. And no. instead of the snap, <laughs> we got the clap. Right. If only. Uh, by the way, John, uh, to, to praise you on our way out the door, I really appreciated that meme that you posted of the, you know, like, uh, the 1% death rate for COVID. And like, that's not a big number. And then it's the 0.0025% or 265% of mail fraud has been proven or occurred. And they're like, that's a big <laughs> <Yeah>. number. <laughs> it made me oh, very man. happy. The funny part, and and the only, I'm not going to go into a big tirade, but I just want to note that a lot of the research about mail fraud has been done by a local university, and I I was very proud of that. Yes. Yes. Uh, Well, ladies and germaphobes, I got way too close to the microphone, but maybe you won't hear Uh, that. Uh, The spike. Yes. Ladies and germaphobes, thank you for being here for this spine-tingling edition of the Disinformed Podcast. We are elated to have you here as always. Gentlemen, any thoughts you want to send them out on to keep them safe and, and cuddled and cozy in their beds as Yog sothoth prepares the gate to enter our realm? I would really uh, implore that you question the existence and pertinence of birds. Um, and you might want to also question sea life, too. Like, have you ever seen a fish that was real? I haven't. Birds aren't real. Birds aren't real, and then enemies are your enemies. There we go. Well, yeah, shit. No, I can't. I can't say anything other than that. Rah, I, Michael. No. Rah, it's Lovecraft. Oh, well. <laughs> Kick his ass, sea bass. Uh, if you're enjoying what you're hearing here, please check us out on the social networks. You can find us, of course, anywhere that disreputable podcasts are distributed your preferred podcast provider check us out every friday morning on youtube you have disinformed after dark our video component of this glorious little podcast and it's a lot of fun and i have a tease for all of you folks that are going to be hearing this i have in my hands the keys to our future salvation and you can see it in mere moments gentlemen oh no you're not gonna see it now i'll show you in a minute so uh Please, get Daddy. excited. But uh, And also, of course, find us on all the social networks. We actually have a link tree present now, thanks to John's concerted efforts, as mentioned in last oh, week's yeah. podcast. Oh, uh, So, uh, if you pop over to our Instagram, we are at Disinformed Podcast, and you can, of course, find the link tree there. And, of course, we're at Facebook.com slash Disinformed Podcast, and on Twitter's at Disinformed Pod. But I believe that is going to compress this into a lobster roll of absolute loathing and disgust. Mm, so for the disinformed podcast, I am Yog Sothoth Shane. I am sometimes constipated John. Oh well shit, I'm Sub Nicarath. Um, also known as the Madness Between Worlds, also known as the Madness in Worlds, also known as the one who not stops the talking, also known as Mike. I'm Lovecraft! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. Well, so long, and good night.